Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. Well, hi again, and thank you, my loyal listeners, for tuning in, whether you're listening or watching. We have today a very, very special guest, a world-renowned plastic surgeon, Dr. Steve Bird, who has something so special to share with you today that is an invention I think should have happened a long time ago. Dr. Bird is known, of course, for his plastic surgery, but let's take a look at what he is now really passionate about. What we do now is we put a mold, a simple mold on the mm -hmm. ear, a little plastic device that uh, glues to the baby's ear and uh, held there for short, as short as two weeks, up to six weeks, and we have uh, a full correction. Mm -hmm. So, Is this one of the molds here? This is. And if this were uh, the baby's ear where my hand is, it uh -huh. just glues to the ear, uh -huh. and the uh, ear, when it pulls through there, and the little lid is put on, shapes the ear into the natural shape. So is it non-surgical? It's non-surgical, painless, oh. no anesthesia, and typically covered by insurance. Unfortunately, it has to be identified very early, mm -hmm. right after birth, or else you can't do the molding. And so we're really pushing to get the moms and the pediatricians to just not just count fingers and toes, but look at the ears. Right. And if it, there's yeah. a little difference there, then we can fix it. Easy and it's, to fix. Yeah. Dr. Bird, welcome. Thank you. Valerie. I'm so glad to have you. I think this is fascinating. And when I talked with you earlier, I just got the sense and know by your reputation that you're known for having a God-given instinct to just solve problems. Mm -hmm. So this is solving such a major problem, saving kids from maybe getting bullied as they get older. Mm -hmm. Tell us about it and how you came up with the invention. Well, gosh, I think uh, the invention was preceded by a good 20 years of just meddling, trying to, <laughs> trying to fix baby's ears where I wasn't sure what the solution would be. And uh, uh, during that time, uh, there was no awareness really that uh, the ears uh, could be corrected mm. in a non-surgical manner. Um, and uh, it came upon me as an accident, frankly. Uh, really? I was in... Um, newborn nursery uh, downtown Baylor Hospital and uh, looking at babies with clefts that needed molding to pre-shape their lip and palate and nose so that it would align and be um, more applicable to surgical repair. When uh, one of my friends, one of the neonatologists said, hey, my grandson's in here, would you have a look at him? Aww. And I said, yeah, sure, and so I looked, and they, she was, of course, concerned about her uh, de ear deformity, misshapen ear. I said, you know, that's a different cartilage than what I'm molding. I'm not sure there's a basis for hmm. for doing this, uh, for that it will work. And she hmm. said, well, would you at least try? Please. Said, well, sure, and it worked. And so from there on, um, out of that one nursery, I continued to get almost weekly referrals 
uh, for babies with misshapen ears. And uh, we, we didn't know whether we needed to do them early or any time and what, so there was a lot of children that we did that were older, uh, not just infants, and then there were some that were infants. And after roughly 20 years, I'd say we had done over 400, and we reviewed that and looked at what worked and what didn't work and what needed to, uh, what, what had to happen, what needed to be done mm -hmm. to make it successful. And so those things spurred me on to look at a couple of things. One, what is the real incidence of this? Is it a common problem? Am mm -hmm. I just seeing the tip of the iceberg or what? And we did that study and found that uh, in that same nursery, mm -hmm. uh, if we looked at 100 consecutive births, 33 of the babies had some misshapenness to their ear. Oh my yeah. goodness. And so then we, in looking at these babies, we saw that about a third of them started improving. They were just folded over perhaps from being in a long labor or whatever and they kind of unfurled. <laughs> but that still left 20% or 21 babies that had persisting permanent uh, deformity. And um, of that, I would say at least half of those were severe. They were things that you would know would end up uh, causing them problems, social problems at the mm. least. So um, at that point, I realized this is a huge problem, not just a little problem. No kidding. And um, then I began to look at all the things that we had done, handmade, the the parts and things that were necessary to mold and then I reached out for um, engineering intelligence and so forth and uh, and that's when we actually began with the device that we now have on the market but that itself took probably another three or four years of, of, of development. So how long <coughs> how long did it take uh, or does it take for something like this to get approved? Well, I'm sure there are things that have been approved much faster than what we did. Um, um, you know, the first time uh, the engineer came back with what I was asking for, I had picked uh, engineers that had won the uh, award in Texas for, for a competition which looked at their, um, their product, something they had done. And so I thought, well, this is a good place to start. Any product? Well, that's the problem. I didn't oh. ask what. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but when uh, when they brought the thing in to fit on the ear, it was first of all huge. It took half the baby's head, <laughs> and second, it looked like something the devil had made. Um, so I asked them, "What what did you win the award for?" <laughs> well, it was for making a, a, a motorcycle with uh, all this elaborate finish on it, and. It had nothing to do with what, but um, anyway, the same guy though was uh, empathetic, and he changed everything. And ultimately, he actually made. He it really work. did. Mm -hmm. Isn't that an interesting story? <laughs> but, but those kind of setbacks were part of my life, I'm afraid, with with this particular device. So, yeah, it um, it took us a long time. We had um, immense problems with the adhesive. With adhesive to the baby, this tiny baby. You had to skin. have an adhesive that was hypoallergenic. Oh, sure. 
Uh, we had to have an adhesive that would stick and hold on and meant to be not just something for a day, but for as long as possible uh -huh. until the skin turnover occurred, which is about two weeks. And at the same time, an adhesive that would hold the silicone or urethane prosthetic mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. So it was a double stick, if you will. Right. And we learned along the way that those adhesives needed to be breathable so that they didn't uh, capture moisture beneath them. Mm. And I tested everything on the market and I couldn't find one that worked. I was ready to scuttle the whole thing. Really? And uh, another sidebar story that goes with that, I ended up getting on the phone with an um, adhesive glue uh, expert in 3M, a, a lady. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she said, what in the world are you trying to do? And so I sent her a video of what we were doing. And she, and she um, called me and said, this is my project. We'll solve it. And she actually made the adhesive. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Did she have a child or a relative? She just she, saw the <clears> vision. Just got inspired from, uh -huh. from a simple video that oh, showed, showed a baby before and after. Yeah. So. so, Dr. Bird, your practice has been uh, primarily plastic surgery, cosmetic mm -hmm. surgery, but also infant. Tell us how you got into this in the first place. How did you become a doctor? Oh, well, that um, was, I guess, happenstance because I had no instinct as a child, adolescent, or college student to become a doctor, no. Um, but I've been, I would say I've been influenced by people key people along the way that uh, I probably took for granted, frankly, um, but now I don't. I, I see the, that a lot of what happens is not happenstance. There's a purpose, and, and these, these individuals were guiding me, whether I knew it or not, and uh, part of the big plan. And they, <clears throat> they um, in college, uh, the uh, chairman of the, of the biology department, uh, I was working for him, and I just wanted to grow up and be like him. Uh, and uh, he was a limnologist of all things, so, which is a professor that studies freshwater uh, ecology and so forth. And as such, uh, worked with him a lot during my college years, including summer. Taught for him and taught parasitology and so forth. Oh and um, and when it came time for me to do graduate. Uh, course with him and become, um, you know, higher educated in the field, he said, I, I want you to go to medical school. And Out broke, of the blue, he um, said that? He called me in. And I, it broke my heart because I really wanted to be his, his disciple, so to speak. Oh, and, my goodness. And, uh, <clears throat> but he said, he said, no, he said, the Vietnam War is raging. There's no deferment. You will be killed. I want you to go to medical school. He said, if you don't like it, after two years, you can come back here. And uh, so that's what mm. happened. Uh, yeah, I took all the tests and got in medical school and never left. It was exactly, I found what I wanted to do there. I didn't know it was plastic surgery, but I, th I thoroughly enjoyed the science that was involved in the human contact. So plastic surgery. What is it about that, from a doctor's, from your perspective, that is so fascinating, that keeps you 
committed? Well, um, as I'm at, going like this. <laughs> well, the the thing was was that first it was 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 I going to be a medical doctor, mm-hmm. or was I going to be a surgeon? And I decided on surgery. And within that scope, I saw plastic surgery as this field that had uh, a lot of opportunity. No defi- uh, a procedure was not necessarily defined. It wasn't cookbook. It was customizing what you did to fit the need. Sometimes that was reconstructive. Sometimes that was, often it was reconstructive, in fact, both in kids and in adults. Um, and so your imagination was was free at that mm-hmm. point. And um, so it was a, a creative thing and you had needed to have uh, a, an artistic eye. You needed to be able to see the third dimension of things in order to create true true outcomes. And so those were the things that, you know, held me to that specialty, that drew me to it, that made me uh, prosper in it, really. Well, you have prospered, and it's my understanding that you have, in fact, invented, that's the only word I know to use, some procedures? Oh, yeah, surgical years. procedures, you know, that's part of the, the deal. If you, if you find uh, a need, Mm-hmm. Uh, usually that means things aren't solved completely and um, uh, one of the, I guess one of the things that I learned early in medicine was to keep good records of what I was doing and so usually that meant starting on something and finding things that didn't work so well as mm-hmm. well as things that as you changed worked better and therein lied the, the route or the road if you will to solutions and uh, so um, most of the things that I've written about that are published uh, alternatives in surgery have been the result of that process of just keep keeping records looking at what doesn't work looking at what does work putting it together and presenting it that way because physicians yeah. want to know what what are the vulnerabilities? What are the downsides? And mm-hmm. if you if you give them the whole picture, then they're more apt to be successful in, in doing what you've done and, and making it even better. Most of the time, they take what I've done, particularly the fellows and residents that are under me, and they make everything I've done better because they're fresh minds and they're uh, sharp, and so that's the way it works. That's a good point, I think, for <coughs> anyone in business, is to keep good records. Mm. Well. Right? It serves me well, I'll tell you. I need so, to yeah. keep better records. Thanks for that <laughs> reminder. Mm-hmm. What is it today at this stage of your life that um, you want to do now with, with this ear well? What, what's the, um, it's trademarked, it's patented worldwide. Mm-hmm. And I love what it said about as a mother, it doesn't hurt. There's mm-hmm. no anesthetics. Mm-hmm. Should be insurance taken yeah, insurance. care of so you right. don't have to go right. through all that hassle. Is it being well received? It's been well received, but it's just not well known. I mean, the the problem with um, it's more than discovering this device. It, mm-hmm. it was the fact that um, multiple, well, at least pediatric uh, pediatricians, OB/GYNs, plastic surgeons mm-hmm. uh, around the world are not uh, aware of the fact that 
number one, that a misshapen ear is more apt to worsen than to get better. They don't know that? No, they don't know that. Uh, because that's not the teaching. Uh, there's a lot of teaching in pediatrics. It's called watch and wait. And I think it applies. I mean, babies are born with small holes in their heart that close. And, and they do fine. Mm. But unfortunately, in the ear, mm -hmm. um, there's a closing window of opportunity to shape the ear uh, before surgery would be required. And that's a very narrow window. It, how, how long? Uh, max three weeks. And, uh, and you can find kids that have been treated over three weeks that have been successful. But statistically, the result's less than half. Whereas if I do it before 14 days, before two weeks, it's 95% successful. So it's pretty compelling to see wow, the yes. sharp break in timing. So if I'm a mother and mm -hmm. I'm listening to this in Wilton, Connecticut, mm -hmm. I used to live there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How do, I, how do I get to you or to the device? You're in Dallas. Well, the, um, there are moms all over the world, really, that email us uh, because they are seeing something wrong with their baby's ear mm -hmm. and they Google or whatever they do, um, um, misshapen ear, deformed ear, uh, fix my baby's ear, all, help, all, help, help. Yeah, all these sort of things, and sure. they eventually come into our website and call. Uh, often their um, their baby's over three weeks of age. And then it's too late after three weeks? It, well, we, we will do it if a mom says, understands that they're they, there's greater than 50% chance that it won't work. Uh -huh, uh -huh. If they just say, do it, I will do it. But, um, but it's hard to um, hard to encourage that as a as a recommended sort of um, um, can't promise it in other words. Yeah, to to say that's a standard of care, uh -huh. I would think it would be a stretch to do that. I would rather the standard of care being before three weeks at the very least, and maybe in the first two. Well, you know, based on the statistics you said again for our listeners and me too. Uh, there are so many kids that, I mean, 33%, is that what you said, 33 Yeah, and I thought, but, but let's just take 10%. Even 10, one. Because we know it, 10% I mean are going to be very, right. very significant. That's one out of 10, you know. So uh, that's a lot. This is a big deal. So anytime I go in a nursery, they'll say, well, we don't have this. I'll say, well, how many babies do you have here? Oh, uh, we've got, uh, in Parkland, I I was told that, and they had something like 70 babies or something like that. And I said, let's take a look. Oh. <laughs> and it was overwhelming. Mm. But, um, you know, that's just, that's just a fact. In, in uh, Asian, uh, in China, I had a fellow that looked at 3,000 babies over there, and it was closer to 40, 48% or something like that. Wow, this is really interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a mom. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's common. It's just... It's, it's fascinating. I'm so glad you're ha on the show. I have to ask you some things just about you, Dr. Bird. If you were to write a book at this stage of your mm. life, what would you write about? Wow. Probably not about medicine. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> not about plastic surgery. Uh, I can understand that. <laughs> I don't know. I think um, that... Uh, there, there are things along the way that if I had 
known better, uh, I would have done differently. And those things are, um, well, it's, it's like, I guess it starts in your marriage, it starts in raising your kids, it starts in how you run your office, your business office. Uh, and all those things are ultimately a reflection of how you live your life and what, you're, what you expect uh, of yourself. Mm -hmm. And others pick up on that, and uh, they become more of a reflection of you. And that's not to uh, over-grandize uh, myself. It's to say that that comes from something bigger than me. And, mm -hmm. uh, and that's what I've learned. Uh, for me personally, that's the, the bottom line. So if you could give us, just in life, mm -hmm. um, two or three things to leave with people, You've been successful. You've you've used your again your words, God-given instincts, mm -hmm. to do something really, really impactful. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm sure there's been some challenges along the road. Oh, so, yes. so you know, I like you have a lot of scars that we mm -hmm. want to keep others from having to go mm -hmm. through. <laughs> mm -hmm. What would you say just about life, Dr. Bird? Just living a good life. Well, and doing things right. I think uh, for me, I was uh, doing things and being very successful and taking complete credit for it, and, and not in an open, uh, obnoxious way, but in an inner way. Um, wasn't sure I needed much more than my own instinct. Hmm. And then along came uh, uh, a life-threatening cancer. And um, it happened to be in my eye, so uh, the result would be, of course, that uh, I would likely be dead in a couple of years and uh, would certainly lose my eye and be disfigured and not be able to continue my specialty. So that was the uh, gravity that I confronted one day to the next with a, just a routine eye exam, boom. And no preparatory, feeling bad or being sick or anything, but being on your, being on the mountaintop and then getting blown Boy. off of it. Boy. So um, that introduced me to the valley of life and the darkness that's there. And that's when I found Christ, to be honest with you. I had been introduced to that as a child, but I didn't really get it. Uh, I went through college, medical school, uh, all the things that are science-based and uh, which um, basically encouraged me away from that. Um, Interesting. But that brought me right back to it. And since then, uh, I've realized that a lot of the things that, that happened, the encouragement I got, the direction I got, the guidance I've received, uh, it was no accident. Those weren't coincidences. And, and so it continues that way Yeah, at, at this point in time. I'm totally aware of that, and I totally honor that. And uh, so, I guess if uh, if I were to say um, what what a person needs to do it right is a clear purpose. Um, and by that I mean not not just to make a lot of money, not to have the biggest home in town or that, but to have a purpose that really honors the Father in my case, or at least honor a greater purpose than your own self. Hmm. 
And you know, from a thank you for that. That's mm -hmm. uh, that's a very deep story, and I appreciate you sharing that. Mm. Um, even in a business setting, in doing personal branding work that I do, it's hard to it's hard for people to really know their purpose. It takes some reflection. It takes some takes a lot. Mm. So this has been fascinating. I just wish you all the best. There's no doubt that this invention was a purpose mm. for a lot of babies and people in the whole world. So um, it's called Earwell, right? Correct. Earwell. Uh, Can they go online and see it? Absolutely. Online yeah. Earwell. There's, there's videos that show it being okay. done and show how to show what the baby's ear looks like before and after and That's all that. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. 33 yeah. out of 100. Dr. Bird, it's a real joy. Thank you, Thank Valerie. you. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. And for you, come back next week when we will have another fascinating guest. And in the meantime, stay authentic and keep doing it right. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically.